Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The Super Bowl is right around the corner. If you are looking to place a bet on any of the sports going on, betonline.ag is the best and only place to lock it in. The Super Bowl coming up next weekend. Uh, everybody loves to bet on that. Kansas City is currently a three-point favorite. Uh, it'd be tough. It's tough for me to bet against Pat Mahomes. Uh, I would I would take that three points to the bank. Hurry up. Uh, place that bet on Kansas City. So from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Support for our pod is brought to you also by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Uh, I can speak from experience here. Uh, it's a it's a great product. Uh, you don't have to worry about little nicks and cuts in the worst of places, so I would definitely try this out. You can't say the same for most below-the-waist trimmers. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code BROS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code BROS, B-R-O-S. Everybody, and uh, welcome to another version of Bill Roden on Sports here uh, in an undisclosed location, but in Upper Manhattan. You know, uh, holding it down in Upper Manhattan, feeling a little better. You know, uh, we had this running joke that when was it? Like uh, you were, a couple you were, days before the election, you were driving to the border. Get out of here! Yeah, I was driving to the Canadian border. <laughs> I I did not have faith in my fellow United Statesers that they would that the majority of them would understand that they made a mistake. For some reason, I was just thinking, you know, they were thinking, about, oh, I don't know, what's, what's really what's wrong with white privilege? I don't know. And then I guess you know I was pleasantly surprised, so I turned around at the border. Hey, I get it. Listen, man, it, it's it's been. Uh... It's been a, a eye-opening year for a lot of things. I think a lot of people are starting to see what you know we've seen for a long time, at least what I've heard, right, from my family members at barbecues and different things, and what I've seen throughout my lifetime. But it took people for people to storm the Capitol building for a lot of people to be like, "Okay, this is what you're talking about." Right? <laughs> right. Oh, oh, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, right. So yeah. That, it, it, it's one of those things where you you. You know, you hate that it happened, but also happy that it happened because it opened up a lot of Americans' eyes to what, you know, not not only minorities, but black people in general have had to deal with for a long time here in this country. Right. And guess what? They were coming after you, too. Not you, but, they, you know, <laughs> a lot of white folks, they were coming after white folks, too. Oh, you yeah. Know? So anyway, uh, holding down my friend and partner, holding it down in Brooklyn, the great Jamal Murphy. Murphy. What's, what's up, on, Bill? Man? 
Glad, great to be here again. It's freezing in Brooklyn. It's about, I don't know, it feels like 15 degrees out there. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. You're inside and you got a new computer, so that makes uh, yeah, it all new, good. New computer, who this? You know what I mean? <laughs> and of course, we got a great guest, man. Had a phenomenal NFL career. Uh, now he's developing a phenomenal career in broadcasting, but was always one of the, the intellectuals um, of the sport. You know, uh, long before it became popular, <laughs> you know, he always kind of knew. <laughs> he always kind of knew what was going on. Um, I'm talking about the great Maurice Jones Drew. Uh, hey, man, uh, welcome to the show, Maurice. Oh, thank you, Bill, for having me. Uh, excited to to see where where this podcast goes. I, I know it can go many different ways. I just can't wait to see where we go and how we bring it back full circle. I teach a course at uh, ASU at, at Arizona State. Oh, really? Uh, of course, in uh, commentary, commentary in the digital age. And uh, would love to have you come on and talk to the uh, students who are learning. They're unlearning everything I've learned in journalism school and now <laughs> learn how to have an opinion, how to have a reasoned non-Twitter opinion, a reported opinion, a, a learned opinion. Yeah, you know what? It's um, it's definitely different. The landscape of uh, journalism is completely different than what it was when I was in college and in school. Uh, even when I was first in the NFL, it was, you know, newspaper, different things. Obviously, social media changes that. And I think, you know, for me, the things that I like to watch, and I think a lot of people in this country like to watch and around the world, it's just things that aren't as, um, that are a little bit more authentic. You know, it's you. It is not someone whose voice is like, yo, 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 I, I sound like this. No, it's who you are as a person and giving your opinion, but having it backed by facts, right? Saying, this is why my, my opinion is this. And then you can have, um, you can have a back and forth. You can have a, you can have, you can create dialogue with people that's, that's positive and not attacking. And I think that's the most important thing uh, that a lot of people are learning now with journalism and, and broadcast and different things like that. Yeah. So you're with uh, you're an analyst and a host at the NFL Network, which is a great place to be, and NFL Fantasy, uh, color analyst for the LA Rams. That should be an adventure. Um, and uh, you know, nine, wow, nine. That's right. You're a nine-year uh, NFL veteran and three times All-Pro running back. Man, I, I, you know, yeah, you had a great career, man. You had a great career and didn't really get banged up a lot, right? I had a couple of surgeries here and there, but I'm I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty healthy now. Uh, you know, I was able to keep my sanity for the most part, which is uh, you know a blessing. So it, it's always good to to feel feel good after playing that long. You had a nine year career, um, which you know set you know for a player as good as you, it sounds kind of short. Did you did you intentionally just get out before you you got more banged up? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, I, I you know uh, I had to. Before I started playing ball, I only wanted to play eight years in the National Football League. Don't know why that number was that, but um, I wanted to do other things. Uh, I had other interests in life. Um, but playing football was like so awesome, right? It's just the energy, the people you meet, the, the friends, the friendship you make, the relationships, all those things. It drove me to keep playing. And so uh, I played year eight and I looked at, I told myself like, all right, this is what you wanted. Like, you should get out. And I was like, you know, I'm going to play one more year because I wanted to go home and play in front of my family. 
And I had a, I had a, didn't have the best year, didn't have the, the best health-wise year. I broke my hand, had a leg injury as well. Um, and then I was like, yeah, that's, it's time for me to go, right? right. It's supposed to be eight years. I, I pushed it one more. Uh, that one more cost me some a couple surgeries. So I was like, yeah, I'm going I'm to go ahead and sit down after that. But, um, you know, I, I enjoyed football. Football was awesome. You know, I always wanted to be – uh, the best of whatever I did. Um, and for a time there I was, and, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Like I, you know, I enjoyed the, the studying of the game and the, you know, people don't understand you put 70, 80 hour weeks in studying tape and watching your opponent and going out there and trying to, you know, entertain and, and be the best player that you can be. Um, and, and so, yeah, so eight, nine years, you know, it was, it was, it was good enough for me. I know there's other guys out there, that are playing much longer than I am or I have or that and will continue to, but that was just something that I wanted to do. Mm. You're looking at one Tom Brady, he's 43 years old, man, uh, <laughs> you know, which is like phenomenal. Uh, but before, I, I want to talk about that, but also I, I want to start with talking to you about uh, Deshaun Watson because uh, that's pretty, that's hot news and it's pretty phenomenal uh, when you talk about player power, black power. You know, players. Just, I mean, it seems like it's all the kind of good things. Well, depending on which side, of, right. where I'm looking at, it's one of the good things. Like, wow, man, this cat is in terms of evolution of, you know, black players exercising power. You know, you had the Milwaukee Bucks saying we're not playing. You had the Atlanta Dream. You know, basically getting a woman out of office. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, LeBron in general, uh, and now you've got Deshaun. Uh, your thoughts, man, because you've been in the business. You know the business. Yeah. Um, what, what's to you is the significance of what Deshaun Watson is doing? Well, I, I think this. Uh, for a long time, players have always had the power. Um, that was something that I tried to really push for when I was a player is that, you know, people don't come to see the guys who run the team or the guys who own the team. They come to see us. And, you know, if you people – I remember hearing the – the uh, analogy that we're like the grocery store, right? Like we're the cashier and the people that stock it. And, you know, the, the owners of the team, people that run the team, they're the owners of the grocery store. Well, I had to change that because I don't go to the grocery store to see the cashier every day, right? I don't go to the grocery store to do this stocks. I go to see, go get groceries. And so to me, groceries, we're the reason the store is there, right? And so I think um, I've always had that mindset uh, I think a lot of people always had it, but we didn't have an, a platform or an avenue to express it, right? Um, a la social media happens. Now, all of a sudden, I can contact a guy that I probably could never contact in LeBron James if I was feeling a certain way and go on his show undefeated and talk about it, right? I have a platform where people are going to listen. Um, the things that have happened throughout 2020 with the, the killings of uh, unarmed Black people, the murders of unarmed black people, that's nothing new. That's always been going on. Let's, let's be honest. That's always been going on. The difference is we have a platform to express how we feel. And if you get enough athletes or enough players, enough black athletes um, to express how they feel, you see the, the type of power that you have. And so uh, I believe like with Deshaun Watson, you hear about the stories of, you know, his gripe is very true. He, he's upset that the team didn't want to sit down with him and talk about the GM and the head coaching search. That's 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 uh, something that happens a lot of places, right? When you talk about other head uh, quarterbacks who are involved in those things, 
other faces of the franchise who were involved in those things. Um, I was involved with it in Jacksonville when I was there. Um, even though they didn't pick the guy that I wanted, they listened to me, right? They sat down and they had a meeting with me about it. And that's all you have to do. No one says you have to pick that person, but give me the courtesy. If I'm, if you're going to make me the franchise player, if you're going to use my likeness to generate all this amount of money and generate this fan uh, frenzy and all the little things you want to do, give me the courtesy to hear my voice in this very important topic to our organization. Um, they decided not to, and he has the right in the contract that he signed in the CBA to, to request a trade. Um, if you're not happy there, and that's one thing in, that I've learned um, throughout my, my pretty much the last couple of years of my life is that, you know, life is too short not to be happy, right? It's way too short not to be happy. And if you're not happy in a situation, no matter how much money you're making, no matter how much money you've made, no matter anything, if you're not happy, you should try to remove yourself from that situation because it doesn't, it doesn't fare well with you. And so I'm very happy that he, he decided to, to use his, his leverage and to make a stand. Is, but he's not the first one. Jalen Ramsey did it for the, with the Jaguars. Uh, a lot of guys have made these stands and pushed forward. Um, I think that when you see like LeBron and other guys in the NBA do it, um, you see it. And then the way they talk on social media, it is just a different platform for other guys to have confidence to go out and do it themselves. And so very happy for Deshaun. Don't know if it's going to happen. Don't know if he'll be traded or not. But the fact that he put himself out there lets people know that he's a very savvy businessman and that he wants to be in a situation where he can be successful as well as his team. Yeah. Uh, who, who did you, in Jacksonville, uh, who did you want when they brought you in for the discussions? Uh, who, who, who did you want uh, to be, whether the head coach or the GM? Yeah, it was a head coach. Um, so my last year was, two, well, it was 2011. I, we had just won the rushing tile. They just fired Jack Del Rio, who was our coach. And – as a team, we all wanted the interim coach, whose name is Mel Tucker, who's now the head coach of Michigan State right now. Um, he had talked to us about his plan, what he, he wanted to do. We, we played really well down the stretch with him as a head coach. Um, and I went in there and I expressed my feelings about it, right? They, they came to me and said, Maurice, we want to know, like, these are the guys we're looking at. You know, what do you think? Um, I was very happy and I, with what Mel Tucker did. I thought we were really good. We we're on the verge of doing some good things. Uh, they decided to go in a different direction. They went with Mike Malarkey, um, who was fired after one year there. But I didn't, at that point, it didn't, at least you listened to me, right? And I think that's the most important thing. Like, even if, even if you didn't really, oh, at least you heard me. If you didn't listen, that's okay. But you allowed me to express how I felt, right? Um, my last year in Oakland, uh, the year I retired, the Raiders called me the same way. And they said, listen, who, what coach do you think would be best to fit our organization? I told them, Jack, I thought that Jack Del Rio was the best coach to fit it. Uh, they hired him um, and I retired, but he ended up getting him to the playoffs for the first time in like, I want to say like 12, 15 years, right? So, you know, players know what they want, right? Players know what coaches can bring and do things for organizations um, I just think people try to, the whole thing, like being a dumb jock that, 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 that plays too, that's too much in society because I'm not, I'm, yeah. I'm far from dumb. Right. And I think a lot of these players are far from dumb. Um, and they, they know exactly what this team needs because they're in the building every day. They see the people every day, right. They know the players inside and out. Um, sometimes you should listen to your players because they know what's best 
for your organization. I don't think there's a player there that doesn't want to win, right? I don't think there's a player that's like, you know what, I'd rather just lose every game and be cool just because I'm getting paid. No one, no one's like that. And so uh, I think Deshaun um, has every right to be upset, uh, just like other players have been in the past. And, you know, for me, it was just something, at least you heard me, at least I was heard. And I couldn't be, I can't be mad and scream and yell and be upset about it because you let me go in there and tell you how I felt. How, how much would they, how much would they love to have him out in L.A.? How much would they like to let Jared? I'll tell you what, Jared, you can go to Houston and we'll take the Sean Watson. <laughs> oh, no, the, Rams, I mean, the reports out there, the Rams are, aren't happy with what how Jared played the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things. Um, you know, this league, listen, I think like any business, this league is is a production uh, production based business. It's you know, I, re- I read your book, 40 million dollar slaves. And I guess if that book didn't do well, they wouldn't allow you to write another one, right? It needs to produce. It needs to get sold. It needs to sell so many copies. Same thing in the National Football League. You you need to produce and be the best out there. Um, and you know, Jared has had a bad, a down couple years, and so uh, they're always looking to improve every position. And it seems like this year is a year where there's a lot of quarterbacks that'll be on the move. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. You know, the big news as far as coaching, you know, along the same lines with the NFL and, and their issues is the, the coaching situation, lack of black coaches and specifically a guy like Eric Bieniemy, um, who it's like, it's basically unprecedented, you know, for a white person in, you know, with that, with that, with those same credentials and resume, not to get, not to get a head coaching position. What's your take on that? You know, as far as the reasons and if you think uh, players are in a position to mobilize and make, you know, make changes in that area. Yeah. So I I think this, there's no one for the owners of those teams to answer to, right. They don't have to answer. They're not answering to Roger Goodell. They pay him that money. Right. So they're not answering to him. They get to hire who they want. And as we can complain and be upset about it, but they have no one to answer to. Right. And so I think that's just one of those things that, you know, where that's where we, you know, we're at that point um, where there, there's no, like only thing left now is to just not play because of it. And I don't think guys are going to do that. So um, I'm actually really good friends with Eric Bieniemy. He recruited me out of high school, then coached me at UCLA. Um, we've, we've been best friends once I left college. We became really good friends because of the coach. He was, he was more of a mentor dad figure. But um, to me, it, it's, it's, it's just not right. Right. Like you said, um, I, I just was watching the Eagles coach talk in front of the media. He was stuttering. He was you know, nervous. And you're telling me he interviewed better. He interviewed well. Right. Um, and so I think every situation. Um, for me, I, 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 this is what I told him, and I'll, I'll tell you guys this. I told him that I didn't think any of these situations were perfect for him. Right. Because wherever he goes, he's going to need to win right away because of all the, the, the stuff that comes with because he's so qualified and he's done so well that wherever he goes, he has to produce right away. Otherwise, they're going to be like, you know, they're going to have a built in excuse. Well, we got we well, we hired him and he didn't win. We didn't win year one. Right. So right. To me, it's like you want you need to go to a situation that is win now. Um, and he may not want to do that. Most coaches don't want to do that. Say it again. He's already in that situation. I mean, he's like, he's <laughs> well, in a perfect. Like, 
Yeah, you're in the perfect situation. But I think he wants to do his own thing, which everyone, I think, especially a guy like him who's played nine years in the National Football League, has coached Hall of Famers at the running back position, who has pretty much had success wherever he's went. Um, and now he's been the calling the plays uh, with Patrick Mahomes for the last three years. Patrick Mahomes won MVP, won a Super Bowl with Super Bowl MVP, and is going back to a second one, right? Uh, been to three AFC Championship games. And yet that's not enough. So to me, when I when I, I look at it, they hire who they want to. And right. we can't, you know, as much as we are, we are upset because he's qualified and I feel like they keep moving the finish line further and further away every time he does something. You can't be upset about it because that's their team and they want to do what they want to do. All, all that he can do and all that we can do is continue to to. to Put him on a pedestal because what he's doing is unprecedented. I, do you, I, you tell me any offensive coordinator that has done what he's done in the last three years and has not gotten a head coaching job, right? You know they, what they say. I don't know. No, they, they, no, no one exists. You know, and I, I mean, and we, well, you're in the media, and I, we hear the stuff. I'm hearing the stuff all the time. I listen to Sirius X, Ellis, and and it's almost like incestuous how they're always pumping each other up. You know. Oh, so and so, man. He's, you know, you you heard Marie. You know, oh man, so and so. He's he's gonna be head coach and you know, offensive coordinator. It, and, and like you said, the goalposts keep moving. But you know, it, it occurred to me, you know, we talked about the the capital the capital uh, riots, you know, the white riots at the Capitol building, and the the picture of the, the white guy with the Confederate flag, in the in, outside the Senate chambers, and it occurred to me that. In some corners of the NFL, some owners and executives have planted their own invisible Confederate flag, you know, and they have yeah, said, no you know, uh, no, man, this this is a white man's league and y'all can play because we, we ha you have to play. We'll let a couple of y'all spring. But when it comes to power and control, man, this is, you know, this is a white man's league, you know, and it, it's it's this kind of reality and um i don't know if it's always going to be like that but to me that's what it is there's a stake in the ground well i i'll say this and i've always said this um as a player the locker room and the organization they're all microcosm of society right so you're going to play with people from all different backgrounds economic religious you know uh political beliefs all those different things and 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 it's, it's very true until you see a black owner you can't say anything else, all right? I played for the one minority owner in Shad Khan, um, who, you know, is, I mean, you can, people are going to look him up and all that stuff, but he's, he's a gajillionaire, right? Like, he had to be way out there to, to have an opportunity. And the Jags, the Jaguars were, I think that was his second or third time trying to, in, to, trying to buy a team, right? So it wasn't the first time. It wasn't the second time. It might have been the third or fourth time he tried to pr purchase a team, right? So... Uh, they're going to always make sure that, that that's their thing. And, and listen, at the end of the day, um, you know, I know there's a lot of players who are trying to put money together to try to buy a team and do different things until you can get a, a person of color or, or a black person in that ownership box or in that owner group. Uh, it's always going to be tough, right? Because again, it's their stuff, right? You can't always tell people like, if I buy a car, you can't tell me I shouldn't have bought that car. It's mine, right? Or if I buy a house, it's mine. And so that's kind of how they see it. And so it, as bad as it is, and as much as I want to kind of bitch and complain and 
do all these different things, I also know, you know, it's theirs, right? And all we can do is continue to, like I said, put him on a pedestal, continue to see, show his accolades, continue to uh, pump him up because he's, he's, he, listen, I'm looking at some of these coaching hires and I'm like, they're going to be looking for a coach in two years. Right. They'll be looking for a coach in three right. years. Right. They'll be looking for a coach next year and he'll be in a cycle again next year like there's a couple other coaches well john embry who's another good friend of mine who's the, the uh assistant head coach for the school 49ers um the niners have had a ton of success with and without injuries he's had success he coaches uh he's a tight ends coach assistant head coach so he's the one that found george kittle and and george kittle one of the top tight ends one of the best all-around players in the game right yet he can't get a sniff but you're telling me a guy who has never called plays in the national football league who's been a coach for this long like it just it just it becomes one of those things where like it gets so blatant that you just laugh at it, right? And that's the um that's the sad part about it. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that I mean, that's that invisible stake you're talking about because I mean the enemy, I'm shocked he didn't get a job. And I know how the how this stuff works in terms of you know them not wanting to hire black coaches, but we we were able to put him on a pedestal. Um all of a sudden you started seeing him. You know, the, the camera started flashing to him on the sidelines. They started talking about him on the broadcast. So I figured, okay, this must be the year he gets a job. But it's almost like a situation where the owners are like almost on some like, you know, some Fox News. Like, no, this is, uh, you know, we're not we're not going to kowtow to, to uh, we're not going to forget that woke stuff. You know what I'm saying? We're going to be ourselves. We're going to hire who we want to hire. And that's it. And you can take, you know, take that. Right. I can't, well, I can't even imagine what they're saying in social media about Deshaun Watson. Well, I mean, also, I can't even imagine. I'll say this too. Like you have to remember a lot of these dudes that are hiring coaches, right? So you remember these people that own these organizations, they didn't make their money in football. They made their money elsewhere. Right. And those people, and a lot of them, they take those, those uh, lessons that they learned wherever they learned them from, whatever business made them successful they put them in the football. And if you, I guarantee if you look at a lot of their CEOs or their other businesses or people that are right underneath them, they don't look like Eric Bieniemy, right? And it may be because Eric Bieniemy makes you feel a certain way when, when he talks, right? He makes you feel a certain way. And, and if you're not comfortable, uh, as they say in football, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're not that, then guess what? You're not going to hire that guy. You're going to go with someone that makes you comfortable, makes you feel like you're the man, right? And I, I think... So many times we see that um, and it's just, you know, again, like if I look at you, I don't even, I can't even remember who um, the old owner for the Seahawks that owned the Microsoft. I mean, if you look at his CEO, like, right. Right. And so I, I don't, I don't, I think that they hire with what they know and they have to step outside their box. And this is not giving them excuse because you're, you're old and they're old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, qualified and not qualified, right? Um, but as, an, as a human being and, and me being one as well, you, you're gonna go with whoever makes you feel comfortable. And I've always, but I, I don't expect being me to change. He shouldn't change because you know what? At the end of the day, winning is comfortable. And if you wanna win, let the enemy coach your team. They'll, they, they, you'll win, right? And that, that's what it comes down to. And we'll have another cycle next year. And hopefully he gets an opportunity. If he doesn't, guess what? The next year after that, he'll have a cycle to get one. Because every year, there's seven to eight teams that are always looking for a head coach. Right. And, and, you're, and at some point, I mean, there are two things. That 
they, they don't do the same thing with a football team that they do in their regular business. In other words, in a regular business, you hire people who can do the job. It doesn't matter if if the presentation and all that is meant, motherfucker can do the job. So he got the job because this right. guy can do the job. In the NFL, I mean, you know Eric Bieniem is a great coach. You know uh, the brother in Ta- Tampa Bay, the, the offensive coordinator is yeah. a brother. The defensive coordinator is a brother. The special teams coordinator <laughs> is a brother. Bruce Arians may be a brother of all we know, you know, because he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't care, you know, you know. But, you know, so that's it. But also, I'm looking, if you go back to like 1948, 49, we just, uh, my class, uh, Walter Beach III uh, was a, uh, talked to the class. You know, Walter Beach III, um, you know, he was a cornerback. He was involved in the Cleveland Summit. He was tight with Jim Brown. and uh, But the, the point is that back then, he was talking about how back then they had like steering and stacking, like, like, like there were like five black defensive backs all competing for one position mm-hmm. where they had the white guy, you know. But my, my point is that, okay, okay, you go from that to like 2021, 20, 70, you know, damn 70% of the players are black. Uh, we had the same thing with, you know. So I think eventually, eventually, you know, people get tired of losing and whatever, and then eventually – you're going to have breakthroughs that right now seem like they're never going to happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, but I also think, you know, I mean, Jimmy the Greek said uh, this, like in the book, in my book, he was saying, well, you know, if, if black guys get all the jobs, like we want them to do, what, what, what are the white guys going to do? You know, and, I mean, and that kind of gets the brass tag. Well, hell, what shit, man, y'all going to be, y'all want to be the coaches too. Then you want to be the yeah. GMs too? You want to own a team next? You want to run the league, right? Like, and 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 that's that's that, that becomes part of it. Um, I have to tell you this. Um, so my first GM for the Jaguars was Shaq Harris, and I really didn't know his story until I read your book. Uh, um, and once I read the book, I kind of sat down with him. I talked to him about it because it was important to me. Like my family, my grandfather played college basketball and my uncles and all those things. Um, but to hear like him tell kind of what he had to go through to become a quarterback and, and what you, you wrote and Eddie Robinson told him, like, you, you can't quit. You're going to have to deal with a bunch of stuff. You, you got to go in there because you're doing this for everyone else. Like that's what it's been. And, and that was what back in the seventies, sixties. Um, yeah. yeah. We're, we're still dealing with that. Not, not necessarily that specific event, but that type of event is still going on today, right? There's other coaches. Uh, Eric Bieniemy is just one. Jim Caldwell is another that should be getting a head coaching job. Marvin Lewis is another one that should be getting a head coaching job. Um, uh, I mean, Raheem Moore, uh, Morris, who's just with the signed with the, the Rams as the DC. Uh, there's a lot of these guys who are out there. Byron Leftwich, who you just talked about, Todd Bowles, Vance Joseph. I mean, these dudes. Byron Leftwich played. He was a top pick. He was a top ten pick in the National Football League is coaching one of the probably the greatest uh, quarterback to ever play the game. And that quarterback had to learn a system in year one in a pandemic and they made it to the Super Bowl. Okay. Right. And you're telling me that he's not good enough to take one of these teams and and coach them. He's not good enough to fix a quarterback room that's messed up in Philadelphia. Like what else, what else do these people have to show you? And so 
I always, I, I, what I, what I've, I've, um, my mom, again, I only go by what I know, which all I, all I can do. My mom used to tell me, listen, the stove, like you could tell someone the stove is hot. Some people need third degree burn to understand how hot it is. <laughs> right. And that's what some of these teams need to do. Like you're going to be bad for the next 10, 15 years. And then you're going to realize that, you know what? Okay. Maybe I should hire this dude regardless of what he looks like, what he sounds like but he gets the best out of his players and he brings a product that will sell tickets to our fans and people will show up. Right. So they want to win. I mean, at, 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 you know, and you, at, you know, everything. And you basically just, you're describing the history of the league. Like that's yeah. how it's always been. They've been, they've been about 10 years late. They struggle for 10 years. You know, like that goes for black quarterbacks, uh, coaches, all of that. So, I mean, it's, remember, it's, we can play linebacker. Right. We talk about, Remember, well, I don't know about Willie, you know, middle linebacker. I mean, can't see. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. so funny yeah. to me because look at Kansas City now, right? The Chiefs, they're winning. Young black quarterback, you know, all these things going on. Do you know Kansas City is one of the top 10 cities to move to right now? Mm. It's not by chance that all of a sudden they're a top 10 city to move to. They always been there. <laughs> right. All of a sudden, they start winning Super Bowls and people start wanting to come out to Kansas City and yep. it's cheaper and, you know, you can work virtually from home. Why not? Right? And it, But that's what these organizations don't understand. Like, if you create a significant winner, if you look at New England, the Patriots, for example, I've never seen so many Patriot fans in my life. <laughs> and Boston oh, ain't that big. Let's be honest. Yeah. Boston ain't that big. But yeah. when you become a consistent winner – you bring revenue not only to your organization, but to the city. People want to come and be a part of it. Everyone wants to be part of a winner. Everybody wants to feel success. Pittsburgh Steelers are the same way, right? Pittsburgh ain't that big, but they've right. won consistently throughout decades of football, and they have fans out of, all over the place. And guess what? When football season goes on, Pittsburgh is rocking. Right. right? right? And, and so no matter how bad the team is, they have full support. The same thing when the Raiders were in Oakland. They won early, like, in the team. I, the team I was playing, we were horrible. We were bad. But we sold out every game. Yeah. The city of Oakland made money all the time. People were flying in, Southwest. Like, everyone, when you create a winner, it doesn't just do well for you. It does well for everyone. And that's what these people need to understand. Like, winning is great for everybody. But, like I said, some people need third-degree burn. Some people got it. They arm got to burn off. Right. And then they'll be like, oh, OK, now I get it. Right. And that's, uh, you know, sadly, that's the history of the country. But what that entails is that you have there has to be constant pushing. It's not just going to happen. So you got to have Deshaun Watson. You got to have, you know, I mean, I do. Well, this is another subject, but with, with DeMora Smith and, and, and probably, Gene, you know, you got all these black guys, but if you the Morris, I guess, philosophically, well, it's not my job. It's not my job to organize these players and all that. I'm a labor guy, you know, and I you could quibble with that, you know. So, well, this is all part of labor, you know. You got you've got a pool of talent. The, the NFL has been dominated by black talent for the past three decades now. It, it ain't like you don't have a pool of talent, you know. You got a big pool of talent. So this is a conscious decision to lock people out, but it takes, you know. It takes constant pushing, and, and that's uncomfortable, man. Nobody wants to do that. With a new year comes tons of new big games in sports. 
With big games, you need big stakes. Kansas City Stakes has the cuts you crave to celebrate the playoffs and the big game. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day and save up to $25 on combos perfect for game day. Plus get free shipping with code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. Try out the Snack Pack Combo featuring small plates with big flavors such as mini beef Wellington steak burger sliders, mac and cheese melts, and shrimp wrapped in bacon. Every order is flash frozen, delivered directly to your home. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Basically, every cut of steak imaginable, plus appetizers, desserts, barbecue, and so much more. Again, go to KansasCitySteaks.com slash game day and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout for free shipping. Kansas City Steaks, big games, big taste. Let's talk ball. You know, I mean, this is like exhausting. You know, it's just, it's just <laughs> fucking exhausting. It is. It's exhausting, you know, because you've been talking about Yeah, because it's the same thing every year. That's why. Yeah, but eventually, you know, at some point we'll get to a point where like, there'll be like, 12 blackhead coaches and we'll be talking about one of them get fired nah, we get, you know <laughs> well that'd be great i can't wait know? for that yeah. i want to get there i want to see what that's like i i can't wait to see that yeah. let me just ask um maurice one question one last question about this whole you know the, the kind of climate we're in um where everybody's talking about athlete activism a lot we always get on the nfl players like Oh, you got to be doing more. We got to, you know, the NBA players are doing this or we always get on the players. But as an ex-player who is socially conscious, I wouldn't like, how do you feel about that? Like, like, do you sometimes feel like, you know, why are you asking us? What, you know, why, why are we the ones that have to do something? It's a societal issue. Um, No, because I I think, you know, everyone's situation is different. I have a, I'm in a group chat with a bunch of my, my buddies. Right. And um, I remember, when uh, Michael Brown got shot, right? He got, I, I, I was raising uh, my nephew and my two sons, right? Um, and my oldest one was like, why did they shoot him? He had his hands up, right? And I had to explain, I had to have this hard conversation with my boys about being black in America, being black men in America, right? Um, and they're mixed, but I told him, I said, you're not seen as, you know, mixed, you're seen as black and you're seen as a problem, scary, and these type of things. And you have to, you know, when you get pulled over, you have to act a certain way. And, and I, I, it caught my, I caught myself because that's the same conversation that my mom had with me when I first started driving, right? And that's the conversation that my grandfather had with her, her brothers, my uncles, right? And so we're, you're talking decades of having conversations. So I, I, on my own, without telling anyone, I, I protested. I scored a touchdown in a game and put my hands up and did the hands up, don't shoot sign. Uh, a lot of people didn't like it. Um, you know, there was officers that I know, guys that I went to high school with that are officers that were upset about it. Um, but I told them that's on you then, right? If you see someone doing something wrong, you need to tell it, regardless if it's a cop or not. That's your job, that's your duty. Um, and so certain players will do it. Um, it's easy for people to say, Oh, you should do it, you're making millions of dollars. Well, you don't know what that person's making or what they, they have going on or how they feel about it, right? right. So you can't expect everyone to go out there and, and protest and speak out on it right. because that, that, that may not be their personality. That may not be who they are. Um, it's easy for me. It's easy for someone who's, de- who's not in that situation to be like, well, I would have did that. Like, well, you ain't <laughs> in that situation. So do what you can do, right? Um, right. But I always tell, like, if, if it touches a person, a person will react to it, right? And, and that touched me. And it, 
it touched me because one, I'd heard these stories a long time ago. Like I said earlier in the podcast that, you know, I'd sit at barbecues and I'd hear my uncles and aunts talk about the time such and such got pulled over and got beat up by the police or this and that. And I had my own run-ins with the police uh, multiple times. But for my child, who at the time, I think he might have been seven, six or seven, came to me and was like, Daddy, why did they shoot him? Right? It touched me because I had to go out and explain to this child about what life is really like. Right? It's not this this bubble that I created for you to live in and these types of things, that's not what life is. Once you leave this secure area, you become a black man in America. And I had to have that talk before I was ready. Um, I know you had uh, my agent on here before, Adisa. Uh, I remember calling him in tears, crying, because uh, I didn't know how to express that to him. I didn't know how to tell my children that this happens on a daily basis. This one was just caught on film, that's all, right? Um, and so it, it was hard and I, I think you know, to answer your question is if it touches a player, you know, sometimes it's someone close to you that is affected like Steven Jackson, right. With the, with uh, George Floyd, that that was his, his homeboy, that was his dog, right. That touched him. Um, sometimes it's, you know, with LeBron, the people spray painting on his fence or whatever it might've been, whatever it is that touched you, then those guys will go out and speak on it. Um, and I think you see a lot of guys as of lately, you know, just because, again, because of social media, I think Will Smith said it uh, best, was that, you know, this stuff isn't new, it's just being filmed. And more and more people are starting to see it. And that's why it's starting to, you're starting to see a bigger draw of athletes. Uh, and I'm happy for them. And I'm glad people are calling out for them. But people, have, people that have, uh, I wouldn't say power, but they have a platform to create change, they're speaking out. Mm. Well, like you were saying before, even about the Capitol riots, I mean, most you know, most black folks know, knew that from, you know, the turn of the century, I mean, from, you know, the, the 1700s, that every aspect of government was infiltrated by white supremacists, white nationalists, Ku Klux Klan, and Missy, I mean, it's just, you know, you'd say, you know that. I mean, it wasn't like a surprise right. that it was infected every single, everything, the judicial department, the guys who make you the loan, the police, the local police, the judge, the jury, the all the way up. I mean, you just, you know, no, you know, you went, damn, really? No, we knew that. And I think that now, you know, when people see the Capitol, you have more ways. Damn, really? yeah, like you said, yeah, we've been telling you this shit for like, you know, several decades. It, <laughs> you it, know, it's so funny to me that people are like, I can't believe they did that. Like, what? You can't believe. <laughs> Listen, if you the whole Karen thing, you, I know you guys remember the whole Karen thing that was on the yep. internet. Yep. They were calling and tell calling on black people. I, I, it's funny to me because where was Karen when they was running through the riots, when they was breaking into the Capitol building, doing all that stuff <laughs> in that situation, right? Like, yeah. I, I always, always, I'm like, is it because I, my skin makes me dangerous when you see people beating cops to death out there, right? You see people like, the one guy had zip ties, like he was finna go to work. He was going in there with zip ties, right? Um, to see them destroy Nancy Pelosi's desk, regardless if I agree with how you think or feel. And I, and I, I wanna say this, I respect you because you're a human being. We yeah. may not agree on everything. We may not agree on anything, but I'm gonna respect you as a person. Those people, and there's, there's not just them, there's others out there, 
that storm that Capitol building, they don't respect the human, the human race. They don't respect mm -hmm. anyone in that matter, let alone black people, as we saw. They were putting their feet all on that lady's desk, taking files, going, doing stuff that you're not supposed to do, committing treason, to be honest with you, which is punishable. I don't know what is punishable by now, but back in the day, you used to go all the way. They used to put you underneath the jail, right? Right. That's how they should be treated, but yet they're not treated that way. And so that those are, again, those are, those are problems. When I see, you know, you see these things on the internet where you see a young 12 year old black boy get charged a felony for selling CDs at a mall, right? But you see these people, the one guy, I don't even know who the guy is, but he didn't want to eat. He was on a hunger strike because it wasn't <laughs> organic food. Right. Like, come on. Right. And then you, you, guess what? If it's me, then you don't eat. Because you decided, you're an adult, you decided to do this. This is why you're in jail. Now, now you get to get fed what we feed everybody else. You're not special. But, you know, we're going to give him organic food. We're going to make sure that his stay is great while we, we try you for storming the Capitol building. Yeah. And the more and you quite, the yeah. and the more you speak on that, I mean, it just it's like the parallel. You just you can't help but see it in terms of what's going on in society right now in this situation and then take it to the NFL and the coaches. It's like the exact same thing. You know, it's just a complete double standard. And and, and as far as, you know, white people, uh, you know, they, they turn on each other. And there's been a long history of that, of of so, some white people turning in a deadly way on other white people who 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 empathize and sympathize with minorities and blacks. That's that goes way back. You know, there's a, the, the, the end lover thing. You know what I'm saying? Like they will turn on them just as quick. And, and what's so funny is, and, and I'll, I'll bring this up because this is their, their argument. They'll go, well, black people kill black people all the time. Well, I think in any neighborhood there where people live in a certain area, they kill each other because that's what right. happened. That's, that's so what's it, around. It always happened. It could be white people on white people. It could be Mexicans on Mexicans, Filipinos on Filipinos, whatever it may be. If you're living in the same area doing competing in certain aspects of life, death is gonna come by, right? Because one person is gonna get upset, however it may happen. Um, but like you said, if, and I always tell people all the time, like I, I'll have friends call me like Maurice, like how can I, you know, people from college, how do I educate my family? How do I, how do I help? Well, first you start by educating your children, right? You educate right. your children the first time. Then the second way you, you step out there with us. Cause nine out of 10 times, and there was, a, again, there was another one when all the riots were going on about George Floyd, there was a black kid out there and this white lady jumped in front of him and was like, no, you're not going to hurt him. And they didn't do anything to her. <laughs> right, right. But they were about to beat this boy. He's on his knees with his hands out. They're about to beat him. But she jumped in front and they didn't do anything to him. That is yeah. what you need. That is what yeah. we need if you want to help fix this. Right. Be on right. the front lines with us. Fight with us. I, 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 I did a march in, in, in uh, in Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, we marched about it. And it was it was a great one. It wasn't it wasn't a lot of looting. There was no violence. The police were there. Um, and, and, and the funny thing is, if you're if you are a sensible human being, a reasonable human being, you know, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, he was wrong for doing what you know, they're wrong for doing. That's all. We, that's all we're saying. Tell us that you're wrong and fix it. No one's telling you to do anything more than that. Tell us that is you see it as wrong and then fix it. But when you tell me, I don't see, I don't think that's wrong. I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> right. Now we have a problem because now you, you're, you're making me feel like 
I'm under, I'm about to get attacked. So then I'm going to respond in a certain way. And so again, those are like, I always try to tell people, like I I always look at it from, and this is from me. I I went, you're like this. When I was in high school, I was a debate. I was on the debate team. So I always been taught to look from both sides, even though I don't want to, that's how that's in me to do it. Right. Um, And so I get it being an officer. Like I get it being a cop. Like I know a lot of of my homeboys who I grew up with, or cops. It's scary. I know. Yeah. But you're trained to do something. You're trained to not react unless you you feel your life is threatened. Putting your knee on someone's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, that's not being, that's not a trained thing. No. You know what I'm saying? And so that's where I think the outrage came from. Right. And that training is a good point because, you know, it's like in the NFL, if you you know, if you're constantly getting, you know, 15 yard, you know, penalties for unsportsmanlike conduct, like you, you are trained how to act when, when something happens and they, they, have, they go through much more extensive training, I would hope, than, than players do in that situation. Well, that's the problem. They really don't. I mean, my brother lives in Germany <laughs> right. and, and, you know, um, it almost takes a year to become a police officer, one or two years to become a police officer. As opposed to like six months, right? You know, right here, it's, you know. uh, they they say that hairdressers, like people right. that do like cosmetology, they have they need. There's more hours for them to be a registered right. whatever they are than there is to be a police right. officer. That's a problem. Wow, how to be a barber? Yeah, it's, there, there's no easy way to transition to this conversation yeah. to football. How, how about how about that Brady Mahomes matchup? <laughs> yeah, how about how about how about them bears? <laughs> well, I think I think you're you're a Bears fan, huh? No, no, no. He's from, he's from Chicago. Brother, no, my brother, my brother, my brother's opera singer, and he's been in Germany since 1989. Oh, wow. But he's a diehard Chicago Bears fan. I mean, I stopped being a fan of anything when I was like 16. I said, "Fuck this! I'm gonna be a sports writer." Cause I, you know, I just, <laughs> yes, I'm not gonna put my emotion. Though ironically, I must tell you, you know, I guess you'll hear it first here on this podcast, and that's pretty was pretty much my whole thing from 16. And I, you're like, "Listen, man, we're in the press box for a reason." Like where Jamal, the, his background, he's in the press box, and that's right. what we do. We, we're above it, you know. Like, well, you like you are now. You know, you're you're above it all as a press box. You're supposed to be above it all. But because of the pandemic, you know, I used to blast fans. Oh, man, you know, you just want to use sports as an escape. You know, blah, 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 blah. Shit, man. I'm like escaping like hell, man. I, I was watching every, every every Major League Baseball playoff game. I mean, every single one. Every single – I mean, I, everything. NFL, yeah. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know. So I, I, I get it. Um, so – in, in, in an odd way, and I used to, you know, I've kind of, and, and, you know, being a fan is really about caring. It's about really caring for something. I think you can be a, a journalist, a sports writer, and divorce yourself from really caring. Everything is about third person, all that, but it's something else to really care. So, you know, who you care about when it comes, even with, you know, when you look at Tom Brady and, and all that. I'm like, it's to me, what that guy's done is remarkable. I mean, yeah, I'm sure, you know, he wore the, the Trump support on that. I'm like, all right. 
<laughs> but if you're going to support Trump, you better be a bad motherfucker. <laughs> right. No question. You better be. You better take no. it to a whole nother level. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny. I get a lot of grief because people are like you got too many teams. You you root for. Every-. I'm like, look. First of all, I'm a root for the Jaguars because they drafted me and they they get. I, I earn generational wealth with them. Right. My family and my kids don't ever have to work again if they don't want to. My sister and my mother don't have to work ever again if they don't want to. Right. Um, I'm a Raiders fan because I grew up a Raiders fan and I played for them. They helped, they helped part of that generational wealth, right? Um, I'm a Rams fan because as you said, they 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 compensate me for calling their games right. So I'm I'm gonna root for them to win every time. To me, they're gonna go undefeated every season as long as I'm working for them. And after, because again, they've they've uh, helped to that generational wealth. Now, this last thing I'm gonna tell you, I'm just a fan because I'm a fan. I was at the AFC Championship game last year and I saw Patrick Mahomes do some crazy stuff. And I said, you know what? I just like him. And then my dog EBs, they OC. So I'm really a fan now. So that's the one team that I have no ties to, but I love them to death because they're fun to watch. They're a young team. They have tremendous pieces and, and they, they keep the game fun, right? They can score. Um, and, I'll, and again, I'm picking them to win the Super Bowl because I don't think a team can out can score with them, right? I don't think there's a team that can score. The only time they've lost this year is because a team scored 40 points, which is my Raiders. My Vegas Raiders scored 40 points and beat them. So if you can't score 40 points, you're not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And that is the truth. So now, but see, now, now, because, you know, ever since I was a kid, we would always cheer for the team with the most black players. I mean, that's our whole thing. All right, so now, okay, now, (laughs) Now because you got nobody can stop this great. Yeah, everybody's black. But now, you know, nobody can stop this great Kansas City offense. So now here, you know, that brings up Todd Bowles. Okay. Now everybody, you know, you know, uh, Marie, you know, when you were remember when you were in high school, the coach says, they're coming to see so-and-so, they're gonna go away talking about you. You right. know. So all right, so they talk about the more they build them up. Oh man, this is the greatest offensive machine in the history of football. Nobody can stop this. I'm sorry, right. you know, it you know. Again, I taught, you know, and, and again, you know, you look at a guy like I'm thinking Brady, and again, forget the regular season. This cat owns the postseason. I mean, his 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 like fingerprints are on like okay. I mean, tell me what tell let's debate this. Let's let's okay, debate this, so Marie. I, I'll tell you this much. Um people say forget the regular season, and I think in some aspects you do, but if you look at what the Chiefs did in that re- in that regular season game, they were blowing them out by the end of the third quarter. They kind of called off the dogs, and they made it closer. What it was end up being 24-27 or something like that. Like it was closer than what it what really was. Um, now the Bucks have done a great job against uh, the Saints, who beat them twice during the regular season. They did a great job against the Packers, um, but I just don't. Th- I when you watch the Bucks play the Green Bay Packers. They had a lot of drop passes. They had uh, a ton of turnovers themselves, but their defense created a couple, which evened out. But I just believe, man, if, if, if you can't score 40 points, if you can't put up 40 points consistently, it's going to be tough to deal with them. And on the, on the other part is that Chiefs defense had their way with this, this Tampa Bay offense last time. And it wasn't as if no one was there. Everybody was healthy, right? Now the Chiefs are down there two tackles, which is fine. But they've played without him. I, I, I just, like I told you, man, I, 
I see Patrick Mahomes run to the right and throw a ball like this, like that, and the ball goes 70 yards down the field, hit the guy in stride for a touchdown. I said, look, I wish I played with that, right? I wish I, I played with someone like that. So for me, it's like, man, and, and to be, you know what's so funny? During the pandemic, I got a call from the enemy, and he was telling me that they were, they were thinking about drafting uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and he was like, would you come out of retirement to – you know, be a player coach. I thought about it for like two minutes and I was like, no, I'm okay. Like, I, I don't want I wish I did though. Oh, wow. I wish I came out of retirement. I would have worked out. I would have been straight. I, I wasn't going to play, but two plays a game, just a little spell guy. But man, to get out there with them boys and play and to be able to play in this. And I, and, and I tell people all the time, like the AFC is now run by the Chiefs. And you're in the Chiefs will be in the AFC Championship game next year, and probably the Super Bowl the next year, and the next five years because of how good they are. Um, that's going to be tough to deal with. That's going to be tough to deal with. And I, and I, as good as Tom Brady's story has been, and it's been awesome, uh, we know that in New England it's, it was all about him and less about like the coaches and things like that because he went to the Super Bowl with another team and a different set of coaches. Um, this is this this is gonna be he gonna have one more year to try to win another one, but I don't think he's gonna win it this year. Well, he what may is, not, but I you know, I was in I was in Houston when they were down. This is where I decided I ain't been against this guy. I was in Houston, they down 28-3. Right. And again, I'm a hardened, a hardened right. sports. I ain't crazy about Bray, you know, none of that shit, you know. Yeah. Ain't crazy about the whole, you know, magazine. I mean, they are 28-3 and they come back. I said, you know what, fuck I ain't betting against this cat ever oh, again. I may lose my bet. <laughs> Ever again, I'm not, I may I may lose the bets, but I'm just not gonna knowingly right bet against this guy. And, That's and, how and, I feel and, about Patrick Mahomes. Well, yeah, did didn't Mahomes do yeah, something yeah. similar last year in the playoffs? With were they losing to Houston by what? By like, 24 24 zero or Tennessee? Whatever it was, <laughs> they were yeah, losing. Like, they were trailing every game in the postseason. They trailed this past game against the Buffalo Bills nine nothing and scored thirty some unanswered points. Like. Yeah. They get hot. He always seems what what you know what what makes him so great because you know to me he I mean he always seems so under control for such a young kid you know he has all the athletic to me he's almost like a, a more athletic Montana like somebody who you just had you had, you just had so, just confidence and he was gonna he was gonna get it done what what is it about him that makes him great in your opinion. Well, I, I think the first thing is he went to a college where he didn't play with a lot of great players, right? Texas Tech, you don't really see a lot of great players come out of there. And so he had to make some some tough throws consistently, right? He had to throw the ball and put it in the perfect position consistently. Now, you fast forward that to getting drafted by the Chiefs. You sit a year, you learn under one of the the, the most underrated quarterback in Alex Smith, who before he broke his leg off, the Washington Redskins at the time, now the football team, um, they were winning the NFC East with Alex Smith. They were literally about to win and have a home playoff game. Like this, he's a winner. So you got a chance to, okay, so now you're throwing tough passes all the time. You get a chance to learn under a winner, a guy who wins everywhere he goes. I mean, again, he took the Washington football team to the playoffs on one leg, right? Like, so you learn after that, and then we put all these weapons around you, Right. And okay, so those are the first three things. The last thing was now he's starting to understand the game of football a little bit more. Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, they're teaching him more and more the West Coast offense, how to read certain things. This is what we're trying to do. You're putting all that into a guy 
guy that can throw the ball 80 yards and has arguably one of the, the strongest arms or best arm talent guy we've seen in a long time. Mm. That, 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 that's a recipe for success, right? All those things. And it starts off where he went to school first, because if you go to Clemson or if you go to Alabama, these dudes are wide open that you're throwing the ball to. There's no one around them. When you watch the tape of Patrick Mahomes, them dudes are covered. They're double covered, triple covered. He's dropping the ball only his receiver can go and get it. And that's what they saw. And I, when I was scouting him, I didn't see that. But when I talked to him, he said, we saw him make tough throws, NFL throws, play in and play out. And, that, and that's what makes him special. What, what do you think of Lamar Jackson? I, I think Lamar Jackson is well, – I, I think Lamar Jackson, one, is arguably the most dynamic player we have because of his skill set. Um, I think he's complete opposite of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he's a runner first who can throw where Mahomes is a thrower who can run. Um, but if you want him to excel in the playoffs, you need to put more weapons around him, right? He needs a number one where he needs like an A.J. Brown of the Tennessee Titans on his team, right? He needs to go get a big, strong, physical receiver who can be a number one guy for him playing and play out. Uh, he needs a D.K. Metcalf type guy, right? Those bigger, stronger guys because he's not as accurate, which is fine. But you need a guy with a bigger catch radius then, right? You need a guy that's 6'3", 6'4", longer arms that can make those contested catches. Um, and I think you'll see him really – I think you'll see him really separate, like, himself from everyone else. Very similar to what the Buffalo Bills did with Josh Allen. You bring in Stephon Diggs, and all of a sudden Josh Allen's more accurate all of a sudden. No, it's not. He's not, he's not it's not that he's more accurate. Is that the dude, they, they put a dog out there that can go get that ball. And then all of a sudden, all the other receivers that you were relying on don't have to see the number one corner all the time. They don't have to see double coverage. They can see single. And now guess what? They're running wide open. And you're not going to miss a guy running wide open. And so you when, you when you have a quarterback, your job is to put playmakers around him, big-time receivers around him, tight ends around him that are going to make – that are going to help him and make his job easier. And that's what you see with the Chiefs, right? If you look at the Chiefs, Tyreek Hill – uh, Travis Kelsey, those are the big two. But then they have Sammy Watkins, who's a top five pick. Miko Hardman, who runs a 4-2, right? They got right. other dudes on that roster that can go and make plays for you. And, uh, you know, Robinson, who came out of Florida, should have been a top – I think I heard he was supposed to be like a top 50 pick. But he has some off-the-field issues, so he dropped a little bit. Dudes that can play are on that roster for Patrick Mahomes. That's the difference. Yeah, mm. and that, that, that's – what's kind of exciting about Kansas City and and I was thinking about Eric too I know he wants to run his own shop you know you you, you have you, I have no idea you know how long Andy Reid wants to coach but you know it almost be like a perfect situation because Mahomes is 25 years old man and all things being equal it's it's a plug and play team yeah it's, it's sort of like yeah. what they did with Brady up there every year you just okay we need a wide receiver here, defensive lineman here. You know, just keep plugging stuff in. The consistent thing is you. Tyreek Hill, I don't know how old he is. You know. Um, he's young. Tell me he's like 26. They're young. They're all They're all young. I mean, yes. And then, you know, if you keep doing it, by the time cats get to a point where they're aging out, you know, you already brought somebody in, free agent here or undraft. You know, so, I mean, it can be very exciting. Uh, to see, a, you know, I, I guess you call it a dynasty or whatever we call a dynasty in 2021, you know. Right. Well, I think the thing with Patrick Mahomes is he has the ability to do whatever you want him to do. And, and that is 
if he needs to run for it, he can do it. If he's willing to throw the check down, he's willing to take shots. That's what makes him so dangerous. So any given play, they can score from the, the, the end zone, right? They can throw the ball 80 yards. The guy can run down and go get it. Or they can just dink it to Tyreek Hill like we saw last week, and he takes it 70 yards almost to a touchdown. And so they, they're just – or you could throw the ball to Travis Kelsey, who's beaten one of the top corners in the NFL and man-to-man on a route, right? They, they, they just have a, a really good collection of talent um, that is kind of putting the NFL in a chokehold right now. And hopefully, you know, it becomes a little bit more competitive. But as of right now, um, Kansas City, man, they, they, are, they are the team to rock with if you're, if you're looking for a team, for sure. And you, and you predict, didn't you predict this game earlier? Oh, yeah. I, I think I saw that on Twitter that you, you picked these two, these two teams for the Super Bowl. Well, I, listen, I, I, I believe this more than anything. Um, talent, if you have a talented team in the NFL, you're going to win games. And if you look at it, those were two of the top five most talented teams, I thought. Um, the Saints are another one that were super talented, uber talented. They had a lot of injuries this year. The Packers are another one that, you know, not necessarily the most talented, but the, you got Aaron Rodgers and right. Devontae Adams. You can make – and Aaron Jones, you can make something happen, right? You can make some shit off, offensively. But um, they're, 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 they were the top two talented teams. And I thought just with Bruce Aarons and his style of coaching – that they, they would make this work, and they did. And, uh, you know, again, credit to those coordinators who all did their part, um, and credit to Tom Brady for doing what he wanted to do uh, in the NFC. Um, but the AFC, like I said, listen, the Buffalo Bills were the hottest team going into this this uh, game last week. They had, I think they had lost one game, and they, they'd won the last 10 games by double digits or something crazy like that. You beat up the Pittsburgh Steelers. They, they were beating up everybody. They they rolled it. It wasn't even close. Yeah, and that to me is like, okay, we got a problem. Like they they're too good in this situation, and so we'll see how they play uh, next Sunday. No, I agree with that. Before my last thing, before we, before we let you go, I got to get you know you mentioned you being a Jaguars fan forever. What do you think about the Urban Meyer hire? Well, I, listen, Urban's been a winner everywhere he's gone. And that's always been a, a, a thing. I think that's what Shad Khan noticed. That's what the organization noticed. And they want, want him to come in. But the difference is, and this is where I think he's, he may struggle, and we'll see. When you're in college, you can recruit 15 first-rounders, right? right? You can have – in one class, if you look at Alabama, the, the class that's coming out this year, all juniors, they were all in one class. Najee Harris, they're going to have a bunch of first-rounders come through that thing, right? Right. Um the difference is in the National Football League, you only get one or two of those picks. So how can you win when your team is not as talented uh, or isn't the most talented team on the field? And that's what I want to see, right? Now, the thing about Urban Meyer that is good for him, he's never really been a court. He's never called plays before. He's just a head coach. He's the pro. He builds a program. And that's what the Jags want. So hopefully he can do that for them and we'll see. So I, right now, I'm going to say I like it, but, you know, you can't really judge a higher until two or three years down the road. Right. I guess it's been the great Maurice Jones-Drew, uh, analyst host, NFL Network, NFL Fantasy, color, color analyst, generational wealth. Uh, <laughs> uh, which I like, you know, that's, that's, you know, you played it right, man. And it's healthy, right. sane, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, came out ahead, brother. Um, last, well, I, I wouldn't ask you a prediction. You already made a prediction, and we're kind of on the same. I kind of, I guess, 
you know, I'm sort of conflicted, you know, because uh, I love, you know, Kansas City. I love, you know, the enemy, the whole thing. But then, you know, Ty Bowles, you yeah. know, he's a Morehouse guy. You know, he went to more. He coached at Morehouse. I, I'm an HBCU guy. Okay. You know, so, but it's, you know, it's, again, it's like last year, there was one game, was it when Mahomes was facing off against uh, uh, Deshaun Watson? And I felt good, man. I could just relax. I, I could just enjoy the game because you got a brother's going to be the winning quarterback regardless, you know. Right. So here it's kind of, you know, you got three, you know, black coordinators, you know. Uh, so, you know, so it's all good. I kind of just enjoy the game. I, I just want – I just – I'll say this. If winning a Super Bowl for Tampa gives those coordinators an opportunity to be a head coach, then so I'd rather them do it, right, yeah. if, that, if, if that's what it takes. Um, but as we know from early in the podcast, that's never enough, right? A, never enough. So Nothing's ever enough. Nothing's, yeah, nothing's ever, ever enough. Say, well, so, you know, it was Andy Reid or it was Tom Brady, you know. Right, you right. Know. So in, in those situations, you know, uh, I'm just going to go – again, it's funny. I played with Byron Lefwich, really good friend of mine. Um, I'm just going off of just pure what I've seen over the last, you know, how many ever weeks, 18, 19 weeks of football. It just seems like the Chiefs are just on a, a different planet right now than everyone else. Remember when uh, when Shaq was a GM, I called it the revenge of Shaq. He had three black quarterbacks, remember? He oh, had yeah, David Garrard. Yeah, it, you were there. David yeah. Garrard, <laughs> my brother from Florida. And uh, Quinn Gray. Gray and he had uh, uh Leftwich. Yeah, we were, we were rocking, baby. It was revenge of James <laughs> first, second, and third. That's right. And we went to the playoffs with all oh, of them. Man. We were rolling. That's right. That's right. Hey man, thank you so much, man. This has been this has been uh tremendous. And um, you know, you gotta come to class, to my class. <laughs> and uh you don't have to, but it would be nice. I would, I would love to. Just let me know. Just reach out to Alex, and, and uh, we'll get that going. No no problem at all. This is a great and love uh, your background, uh, huh. which which just tell people it's not it's, you. It's Machu Picchu in Peru. That's right. I was there. That's right. That's right. Every time I look at it, it makes me want to go back. Yeah, it's wild. All right, man. You take care of yourself. Be all safe. right. Thanks a lot. Right. No problem. Yeah, thank you. That was great. That was great. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew. Uh, that's what, well, as you mentioned, he, he had a great career. You know, when he was playing, uh, you know, he, I think, like you said, he he led the league in rushing one year, three-time All-Pro, kind of forget about that. And he did have a relatively short career. Um, but like you said, came out perfect time for him. For a running back, though, man, that's a long time. No, you're right. It's, yeah, nine and years for a running back is a long time. But, I mean, for the great ones try to stick, they usually stick around longer than they should, and he didn't really do that. Yeah. He said that one year, he's I'm done. Yeah, so, and, he, and of course he's doing his thing now. We're recording this on uh, Friday. Of course, it's sad news on the college basketball scene that the, uh, the legendary John Shaney uh, passed away at age 89. Uh, just, uh, you know, great uh, great man, great human being. Um, you know, along with John Thompson, Nolan Richardson, um, George Rabling was just, you know, coach who, you know, basically was always pushing, you know, pushing for uh, more black coaches and fighting for players' rights. And was this also great coach in his own right? Two pillars passed away, uh, John Thompson and now John Chaney. So, 
Yeah. And I remember, you know, as a, I guess I was, I don't know how old I was, but I was young teen or even younger, um, you know, growing up, falling in love with the game and then watching Temple, you know, remember Mark Macon, I remember he had, when he had like Mark Macon as a freshman and, uh, and they were making, you know, he's taking Temple to the, to the Sweet 16 and Elite Eights. They never made it to that Final Four or got a championship. Um, but he was a, a big time figure in college basketball, even just from the coaching perspective, like you said. But then when you take it over and turn to, uh, you know, his, you know, him standing up on racial issues and, and just being a hard nosed guy, um, you know, obviously one of the one of the best to ever do it. And I and I saw oh, Bomani Jones tweeted something that made that made a lot of sense to me today too, saying we we kind of take for granted what he did with Temple because they haven't been anywhere close to what he had them as, you know, since he's been gone. And that's you know it's a small school in Philly, Atlantic Ten, for him to take him consistently to the levels that he did. Um, I don't think I I don't think I truly grasped at the time, but now you you can really appreciate that. Yeah, he had great players. I mean, you know, I mean, not as in superstars, but just he always had like Aaron McKee and, mm -hmm. you know, you know, a lot of really solid players. They had a great program, man. And uh, Yeah, Eddie Jones. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. He'd always keep like yeah, man, he, one guy like that, like a beat, you know, like one guy from Philly, one of the, the best player out of, out of, you know, Pennsylvania or Philly. Um, yeah. And then, you know, all the legendary stories, how they had 5 a.m. practices uh, you know, he taught, you know, taught these kids discipline. Um, and McKee is the coach now. He's the head coach at Temple now. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. For the last two years. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. 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 Yeah. Yeah, man. So, you know, John Shaney. I wonder what, uh, uh, what's the name Calipari said about him. You know? <laughs> they've been, yeah. they've been showing that video on a loop all day today. Which I'm, I, I was kind of torn. I'm like, well, you know, I doubt he would want that to be his legacy. Like, you know, yeah, people RIP and they show that video of him telling them, I'm going to kick your ass and all that. But that is part of who he was, you know? I mean, and, and, and from all accounts that they, they actually made up pretty quickly after that and, and were like good friends and would joke about it, you know, for years and years after that. So, I'm sure. I mean, that's, that's probably the kind of person Cal Perry is. I'm sure, you know, same thing with uh, with Cheney, you know. Right, right. I, yeah. Right. I think of Cheney's birthday, he would have been 90 coming up. I think his birthday is sometime in February or something. You know, when you look at Cheney, what was the, like, and you compare him to Thompson. I mean, Thompson was the more famous, uh, you know, he won, a, he won a championship and got to a Final Four. But when you... He profile and won a championship. Mm -hmm. And he played in the Big East. Right. Right. At the time when the Big East was the monster conference. Right. You know, so that was, yeah, I mean, That's you had Patrick best. Ewing. Patrick you Ewing. Had, I mean, he had those great na yeah. national teams. I mean, they, they, I mean, they were in the Final Four three times. Right. right. <laughs> you know, so that, that does make a difference. Right. But Cheney was right right there. And also Cheney had also coached at a HBCU. He, was at, uh, he coached at a Cheney State, I believe. Yeah. Vivian Stringer. Wow. Yep. That's that's amazing. Yep, it's a great John Chain. Happy I had a chance to know him. Yes, rest in peace. Yeah. Yep. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, uh, continuing to uh, subscribe and listen to the podcast. 
Uh, follow us. Keep following us on social media at Bros Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Bill Roden on Sports on Facebook. Um, and we'll be back next week, of course, with uh, some more good content as usual. Yep. Jamal keeps bringing them in. <laughs> anyway, listen, everybody, stay safe. Enjoy. Well, you know, one day, you know, this weekend, no football. Uh, I guess we could, next week, we could talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Well, not next week, we'll talk about Super Bowl, but Brooklyn Nets seem to be an emerging story. We'll see. Yeah, na- um, you know, na- national team now. Everybody, everybody wants to know what's going on with the with that big three. They got a lot of they got a lot of offensive talent. So, yeah, none of them play defense except I guess Kevin. Yeah, just just Durant. You know, he gets Not the going. if they do it, he can prove that he's the leader he always wanted to be portrayed as. You know, on on like LeBron's level, even though that's that's a stretch. If he wins another one, if he wins another championship, particularly in Brooklyn, yeah, that'll be his what fourth. It'll be his third or fourth. Fourth, I think. At least third. I'm not sure. I got to look at that. I think you're right. I think it might be no, his third. Third. No, he's won. I think he's won two and and was and was uh, Finals MVP in both. Yeah. So he still got a ways to go. <laughs> exactly. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Stay safe. God bless, and we will see you next week on another version of Bill Rose Rose Five. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.